Hey, welcome to the Race to Alaska podcast, The Daily Fix. My name is Daniel Evans, race boss for Race to Alaska. Let's get at it. Today is the 1st of July, and we have three teams that are still out there, don't we? Make It So, Oracle, and Team Gar. I talked to them when they were all in Shearwater, getting the Petty Manny, and though they needed the time to rest up, there's no way they were going to say that they were done with this race. Can't wait to stand on the dock to welcome all of them. And I was watching them today when the tracker went down. Did anyone else experience tracker down? What I did was I used my time wisely, I think. Took a shower for the first time in six days. Decided to catch up on my real-time analytics at the Race to Alaska website. And then dug through the fridge for a little something to eat before I pounded on my computer three, four, five times. And it magically made it work. Yeah, I don't know what made yours work. That made mine work. So, those three teams we have out there, right? Team Gar and Make It So are less than 100 miles from Ketchikan. At this recording, which is really late or early, depending where you're at, Team Gar is still underway, doing about 3.4 knots. Team Oracle is, right now, the last of the three at about 130 miles away from Ketchikan. But, you know, Dixon Entrance is getting a storm brewing up there, a little pressure coming in. Coming up to 30 knots. And so I'm keeping a sharp eye on all of them, hoping they're playing it safe. There's still time. No need to rush. What we have tonight, too, is another unprecedented opportunity. I was down at the Ketchikan Yacht Club and realized we had six teams that were in and decided to strike while I could. I brought them all together in a bit of a round table. The teams were Grace B, North to Alaska, Rush Away, Kelp, Viz Reporter, and Rod Price Adventure. So I thought it would be a good idea to sit them all down, ask them a couple questions. It's a two-part thing because it went really long. So today, hear the first. Second, get the... Well, get the second. (laughs) I'm going to tell you earlier, though, one of the takeaways I had from this first listening was if you're thinking about your boat and you're thinking about racing to Alaska, don't focus on your fast. Focus on your slow. Okay, take that thought into the discussion. Enjoy it. It's rich. It's rich. And it's really the first time we've ever had so many racers together, especially immediately after the race, talking about their experiences and the lessons they learned in the race to Alaska. Let's go. All right, so we're sitting down at the Ketchikan Yacht Club. Uh, It's another barbecue Friday. And a ton of teams are here. First off, thanks to the Ketchikan Yacht Club for doing this so many times. It's really fantastic. We thought we'd take this opportunity to get these teams around, maybe ask them some questions and see what they have to say about their experiences in the race to Alaska. Could we go around real quick and just say what teams are here? And you can say your name as well. Ernie Baird, Grace B. Team Grace B. Uh, Sean, Team North to Alaska. Martin Musson, Grace B. Henry, Vietenhans, North to Alaska. Rod Price, Rod Price Adventure. Dave Rush, Team Rush Away. John Calagero, Team Grace B. Kristen Peterson, uh, Team Kelp. Elena Losi, Team Kelp. Kevin Rush, Rush Away. Matt Cruz, Viz uh, Reporters. Great, I'm Zach, I'm the Film Buzz, and we have a lot of great teams here. It's really cool to have everybody here. As I look around, I don't really see necessarily anyone here that was doing this race for the $10,000 prize. <laughs> <laughs> 19 days into it, I can't wait to just not. You know it. It. <laughs> <laughs> That kind of plastic is fine. Not, not either $10,000. <laughs> 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 
have left. We could have paid that. Last yeah. boat in wins $10,000. You're more the group that would sell our boat for $10,000. Yeah. <laughs> all right, so here's the question then. Why do the race at all? Adventure. Simple. For me, anyway. Why wouldn't you do this race? <laughs> Tell me more about that. Yeah, yeah. Why, why do you think that, Henry? Oh, I just... It's such an amazing opportunity, and it brings together so many different adventurers in one place. And I, I met so many cool people on so many different teams, and I got to interact with them both in the race and outside of the race when they finished and in between legs, and that was one of the coolest parts of the experience, besides the adventure itself. I'd love to hear Ernie just speak to that too. It's like, uh, how old are you? 17. 17 and 70 going to this race. <laughs> <laughs> and neighbors. And neighbors. And neighbors. Maristone Island represent. There you go. Because it was the next indicated thing. Because it needed to be done. It needed to be done because I needed the challenge. I needed that lens to focus my energy, which was getting too diffuse for my appetite. And and because earlier racers had done it, I was skeptical about the wisdom of the race. But so many people had completed it successfully, I was beginning to feel like a chicken. Um, I don't know that I knew what I would find on the race. And indeed, as I've said before, I was surprised by, by sort of the extremity of the conditions. <laughs> but what I did know... From other occasions out in the boat and other occasions just, just kind of putting myself out there, is that there were things that I would find that I could not find any other way. They're the things that would happen along the way, both with the people and the water and and just the entire event. My interaction with, with Sakai and with Martin, it was all extraordinary. And there was no other way to duplicate it, that experience except to engage and go. And in my case, to go with the boat I had. You know, I didn't have a boat that would point. I didn't have a boat that would be the result of a hundred Thank years. you, just for that. I didn't have Henry's father, who's been traveling the internet for, what is it, 40 years, 40 plus years, nor, you know, four teenagers who are the equipment. I mean, that's a 471 right there. <laughs> so, you know, but we went with what we had, and we went in this place that we love. And things happened that could not have been predicted, but were wonderful. So that's the reason to go. Other teams? Look at us. Yeah. <laughs> Why do you this race? We're still working on that. <laughs> I honestly don't have an answer to that question. And we talked about it a lot we while we were out there. Yeah. yeah. We were doing this. Yeah. Um, I mean, this race... I don't, I guess it I just don't, consumed us yeah, for the past two years. Yeah. Like, we were at the start of the first race. And there's a video of us videoing the first race and saying, we will be there next year. And we were. And then we were there this year, too. But I don't, I don't know. I don't know. It's almost more like why not, kind of, like what you were saying. Yeah, we didn't have a good reason. But we didn't have a good reason it. why. And that, <laughs> that's so. a pretty good reason. It also seems to me that most of our lives now are completely detached from the natural world. Like everything is taken care of, right? We, I don't know, between media influences and modern conveniences, we are completely detached from that interface of the natural world. And this is one of the few examples you have to strip all of that away. And you are left to the simple devices of figuring out where the winds are, the currents are, and the oars, right? And that's all you've got to get that stupid little 17-foot boat from Washington State to Alaska. Now, where in this world do you get that opportunity now to strip all of that, that, that barrier away from just that natural 
interface and your own resources, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, these guys that did it in these little tiny boats are like, really, well, that interface not. is right there, like three <laughs> feet off the deck, right? Or three inches yeah. off the deck. Yeah. You know, we had a cabin and so forth, yeah, right? That comment is coming from someone who did it in a 17-foot <laughs> boat. My boat is 19 yeah. feet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Although I'll have it known that it also is not referred to as a real boat. <laughs> but it strikes me that... But that's the ultimate appeal of this race, and that's the ultimate achievement, which is that we strip all that away, and we're down to the simplicity of the race, right? But the added benefit was all the people that you met, and that was mm -hmm. like just this, it just created this fabric and texture to the race that I didn't expect. And particularly, you know, the three of us coming in, and we're all like going, you know, as fast as we could. These crazy little boats, you know, we're all like sort of racing each other up this, you know, this... It wasn't this, a race. <laughs> called it like two hours before we were even in. Someone was like on Facebook, on, on Northwest Maritime Center was like, well, I guess the drag race is over. Exactly. Was coming in. And we were still like, we thought you guys were just behind us. And then we were like, well, I guess they called it. We're still paddling yeah. like that. We're watching these three. Those three old bastards are not going to beat us. We are running so bloody hard yesterday. <laughs> we, we even took a shortcut trying to <laughs> <laughs> anyway, but part of it is like a is a double challenge. There's a physical challenge to the race, but there's a mental challenge as well. You've got the mental ordeal that's going on in your brain all the time, and so th there's two challenges, and um, you just have to come up with them both and deal with them. Yeah, yeah. yeah I'll say one thing. Matt and I were talking about the different approaches to the race. Obviously, well, hold on, I want to say yeah. that okay. just just that people know this is Rod, and he's one of the. Ones that came up by essentially human propulsion. You, you, you sell the sail for a little while, then decide not to do that anymore. But. Yeah, I decided to stow it because I um, I would sail sometimes past Matt and we're running together, and then I put the weight for him, and I'd get all cold, plus feeling like a jerk, you know, that I sort of cheated, and I'm waiting on him to paddle up to me. So I thought, I'm just going to stow the sail and paddle and feel good about myself. <laughs> but anyway, he's talking about the different approaches to the race. Um, you know, with sailboats, obviously, you've got your own concerns about, you know, running aground and hitting things. And uh, with the, uh, the paddlers, we have to be concerned with going on land and where we're camping and the high water marks. And, uh, and, and that, that leads a whole other dynamic in bears. Like, you guys don't have to worry about bears too much. And, uh, like, we got thrown a nice sealed thing of, uh, you know, smoked salmon. And we didn't even eat it the first night because we were afraid of bears. But we next night we're on an island and we, you know, greatly enjoyed it. <laughs> but uh, you have to take those things into account. And uh, I, I think it's great to add that other dynamic to actually going on land and seeing just how spectacular it is up close. Of course, it wasn't that spectacular when we misjudged the high water mark and had six inches of water in our tents well, at two uh, two thirty in the morning. But that, that's just an interesting little adventure. <laughs> so, it's funny because I hear, you know, there's a lot of comment about that it's a race, but it's really not a race. Mm -hmm. And you know, even hear, you know, kind of laughing yeah. about the fact that it's a race. Though I've heard from a number of you stories of when you see this light in the distance that you think's another team, you all of a sudden double your path. Competitive, competitive. More sales, more sales, more sales. <laughs> so really, when, you know, when it comes down to it, you know, who, who are you trying to beat out there? First name from W. <laughs> <laughs> My grandfather always said,
The definition of a race, two boats on the water. <laughs> no matter how mismatched you are. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. So did you find, what were the victories that you were looking for in the race? Were there ones that you were looking for in the race? I'll just say that honestly, I wasn't racing the other teams. And I actually thought it was so cool when I'd like see the teams. Like I saw Grace B. Like, so often. <laughs> and, and, and it was so funny to me, because as soon as I was pushed ashore, and I would settle down, in Campbell River, I was coming up, and, and winds were forecasted to get high, and I was like, I saw a hotel on the shore, and so I called them. <laughs> I, said, I said, you got a room? And they said, yeah. So I said, I'm going ashore. And then I sat on the shore, and... Uh, that later that afternoon, and I saw Grace Speed come up Campbell River, and it, it up to Campbell River, and it was one of the most beautiful sights. And then later in the race, I had the same experience happen. I'd been pushed ashore, and I think maybe this was was uh, well, this was later on. I think it was with Rod at the time, and 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 we were sitting there, and and again, Grace Speed comes, you know, and winds that I can't handle, and they come, they just come marching through. And it was so beautiful to see. And, 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 they, and I thought, that is the most beautiful boat, you know. <laughs> and, and it is so cool to see them just, just push through these conditions that I can't We had do. to. We were told to. Slow and steady. But, you know, so, so for me, there were certain boats which are actually here. You know, the teams are here. Which we kind of traveled relatively close with. Yeah. Which I wasn't competing with. I was rooting for you know, and it was so fun when we had the opportunity to go over and actually have dinner. <laughs> team, which I had twice seen come past my campsite and then drift back. We knew what you were talking about, Team Kelp. Yeah. <laughs> we did a lot of back and forth. Mostly <laughs> forth. Okay, so then. That, I think it's great. It's great that, that you were able to see that community float and moving, but did you ever have those times where maybe you saw another team and, and thought that you'd like to switch with them? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I said, Watching this bloody boat, these girls are the pointing up, and we're going back and forth across the street. We're going nowhere. And these girls are like crack sailors. Their tacks are crisp. And they're going up Johnson Street. We're just watching them get away from us. I wanted their boat. <laughs> Every day, all day. We didn't really feel like that. We still want to have their boat, yeah. by the way. <laughs> Everyone knows that we love our boat. <laughs> we tell people. <laughs> there was a rainy day on Queen Charlotte Strait, and we knew the sister ship was ahead of us. And we were, we, and it was pretty decent signal, good enough. And it was like, oh, I think they went in here. And it's like, yeah, we're running out of daylight. We should maybe go in there and then. I just want to say this Grace is B. Grace, this is Grace B talking. Oh, yeah. Grace B, Grace B, where are you? It's like, it's a sister ship, yeah. Oh, we think we know where you are. We're going to be anchored next to you tonight. Oh, great. We'll have supper ready for you. <laughs> and it was pouring rain. We came in and we got on board the boat and it's like, at that point, I think we wanted their boat. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> their company. It was, it was wonderful. And the six of us were crammed into the cabin of an F-27 for supper. We felt yeah. very uh, looked after. It was really yeah. nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, it was, was really nice. Any other, any other boats you guys wish you'd been a part of? 
I can see Henry just shaking his head. He's got a lot of pride in that Sharpie. I love that Sharpie. <laughs> I, yeah, these, these warm, fuzzy feelings of teams being together. It was a lot more cutthroat. <laughs> but, man, people were racing. Like, yeah, every time we saw another boat, and we were just playing tag with people all the time. Like, I think the competitive aspect that our team was involved with in the race, that was a lot of fun. Yeah. So, Agreed. yeah, I, I enjoyed the racing. Yeah. Yeah. We had dinner with Kel. They invited us for dinner as well, and that was really nice. But when we were... <laughs> but when we were casting off lines, this serious look went over their faces, and it was like, Go. <laughs> <laughs> it was like, all right, they're gonna go that way. We're gonna we're gonna have to use the eddy, and it was this whole. <laughs> there was a point. There was a point two days later or something where they were sheltering from rough weather, and we went by them because you know, Grace B's got lots of weight and can handle the heavy winds, and we went by. Them. Got them. <laughs> <laughs> I think you went by us too. Right. We think they're sleeping. Grace Beep passed us several times and then it seemed like just downwind we just could not yeah. catch you guys. You just sneaky, sneaky. and just... we felt you know, we would see you and we would feel competitive. And then we'd look at one another and say What's the point? Old men can't talk about trying to beat young women. There is no glory in this. They can't say, no matter how much we feel this, we can't admit it to anyone out loud. Certainly not on record. By the, by the way, it's a recording. Did you ever, you're the only one at the table that came up here by human propulsion alone. Uh, did you ever want to change that? No, not at all. In, in part because I'm... I started it for the goal of human propulsion alone. And then I think it's really cool that, that you know, up to Carl, who I'm so impressed with. In you. And, and so <laughs> deeply impressed yeah. There hadn't been a human-powered alone racer that, that completed. And, and I thought that was really cool. You know, and so, and so I wanted to try and see, see what we could do um, just on human-powered alone. And I have no regrets at all. If I was racing, <laughs> you gotta have a sale. <laughs> I mean, honestly, you gotta have a sale because you have to you have to maximize speed when you can. My speed slows down when the wind goes up, and that's ridiculous for a race. <laughs> but, All right. So, say you you know you're hanging out at a restaurant. Someone came out and they found out that you you had raced in the race to Alaska, and they said, "I'm doing it next year. I'm so excited to do it next year." What would you tell them? To Part of it's obvious that at least once or twice, you're going to face big stuff, and it's going to be scary. But the thing that's not often mentioned is how much water is flowing by the time you, you get north of Bella Bella, and there is a lot of water yeah. going both ways. And the number of hours we spent rowing after we got out of sheer water were part of what Martin mentions is the mental challenge. Just a, okay. We're going to pry this thing upstream or downstream or in any event. Hold water. This is not, that last leg did not go as rapidly as we believed, as I expected it to go. And there was a certain amount of settle down, don't think about the end, you know, what you've got is this next, whatever it is, the next stroke, the next hour, just do it to the best of your ability and get through, you know, get through it step by step by step. 
don't be bugged by the fact that this is taking longer than expected. So I wish I'd been, if they had just said, I wish somebody had said to me, the tides are going to be a really big deal in the north, get ready for it. Get mentally prepared to work hard and not go fast sometimes. Yeah, yeah we, we had the same comment. We were told by a previous team that once you get north of Bella Bella, basically, you you don't need to worry about that. Yeah. Very wrong. Very wrong. Perhaps what they meant was, perhaps what they meant was, you, you might have less accurate information yeah. about the currents, but... Um, yeah, they were like, that just, was just go. Like, yeah, you don't need to yeah. time anything, just go for yeah. it. Um, but like, on that note, I would say it's okay to go backwards. Yeah. <laughs> it's okay to anchor. It's okay what do, you mean, what do you mean it's okay to go backwards? Like, if the current changes and you end up going backwards, it's okay. Yeah. It just, it's like you don't need to, like, get frustrated about it or... And, and especially on Navionics, when you go backwards, you zoom in really far and you're like, oh my god, I went backwards. And it's really only, like, 500 feet. <laughs> yeah, we <laughs> like didn't zoom in so far. <laughs> um, it was nice to get to the point where we were... We were okay with making the decision of we can either row and sustain our position for the next hour until this changes, or we can just drift, and that's okay. It's making that choice of are we either going to be that much closer to being exhausted, or are we going to have a meal and sit and start over? Yeah, Because the times that we went backwards, I mean, you look at our general larger track, you can't even see the blip backwards, but we were so focused on it. I could see. (laughs) (laughs) finally you look at like our whole day's worth of, of progress and you don't even notice the part that we went backwards when we were just like stressed out and rowing and you know freaking out and aggravated yeah, we've, we've just frequently found ourselves not making the progress that we thought we were going to before the tide changed, mm-hmm. stuck, just stuck, and that, that, that had and to be okay. okay. Yeah, one of the interesting things for me is I navigated entirely, or mostly, with map and compass, because those are the things that I basically have available to me in a kayak. I have my deck compass, and I have my map in front of me, and I can pull out a GPS, which of course I have, to confirm that I am where I think I am on the map or compass. And so I was constantly trying to make those adjustments and those decisions, you know. In one case, we went up a passage called Baloney Passage. <laughs> I didn't know that it existed until we were fighting it, and we were making so little progress. I looked down at my map, and there was this tiny sliver of blue. And I said, what's that? So I went to shore, I pulled out my GPS, and I said, it said Baloney Passage. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, I don't know which way the current's running this. I don't know what it is, but it can't be worse than this. One of the great things about the whole race was uh, navigation and, and doing it in real time and being able to make those adjustments needed because we frequently didn't get accurate weather. We frequently didn't get weather at all on our radios. But some days we had to start, and it was, it was two days ago, they thought it was going to be northwest winds 10 to 15. Right now, it's clearly coming out of the south at, you know, 15. Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and I'm wondering, are there, are there other things people, and we, and we can talk about weather probably forever, because most people feel pretty betrayed by it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but I'm still wondering, and maybe that's a takeaway as well, but are there other things people think that they would impart to others or wish they knew? No. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, 
Yeah, I would say, you know, Matt and I talked about this, about, um, you know, doors open and doors close in this race. And uh, as a paddler, you know, if it's really severe winds out there and they're headwinds, you know, it, it doesn't really – it's not in our advantage to get out there and fight that stuff because it just drains you of all energy. And, uh, you know, if you're fighting in the hard winds to go a mile an hour, you know, for about five hours, which we did one time, and it was just like, as soon as we got across, it's like, forget where we wanted to go to camp. We're camping here. We're just shot. You know? And so, but I would tell people, you know, just not to be on a strict timetable and not to get too disappointed when you get off that timetable. Just maximize what's, what's going on. Most of the time, like when we, we had three and a half days of layovers, we were just, you know, at the campsite waiting for a gale to pass. And, um, those days after we got back on the water, we usually had great mileage days. We had much more energy, and the weather conditions were much better. And uh, the other end is if you've got good weather, really maximize it. You know, don't uh, end your day early just because, you know, the sun's going down. You know, really maximize what you've got right in front of you if you can, you know, uh, find you know, the next campsite or what have you. <coughs> I'd say uh, know your boat. Mm-hmm. Really know your boat. I- we we've had our boat for almost two years. We've sailed it a lot, and I can't imagine doing this race in a boat that only had for for less than a Easter and a team rush away. We had sailed that boat five days before the race. Five separate occasions. And and know it in terms of its sailing capabilities, but also know how you're going to store yeah. stuff and how you want it organized. That was a huge part of our mental health on this trip. Yeah, like we, we had a lot of space on our boat. We had really thought about yeah. where stuff was going to go and how we were going to have it. We had room to have guests over twice. Wow. <laughs> so. yeah. Um, yeah, know your boat. Yeah. I think the other thing on this race is it's best not to think about the big picture. Yeah. I think that it, what... You know, even a couple of weeks before the race, I started getting all wigged out thinking about the big picture. And then I just started realizing, well, all you can do is what you can do that one day. Mm-hmm. And I found it really helpful on each given day. We would set kind of short-term goals, and it might be rowing from Prince Rupert to Dundas Island. Mm-hmm. You know, really- 11 hours of <laughs> rowing. Mm-hmm. But that was our goal for the day, to make it there. It turned out the wind turned, and we ended up going across uh, Dixon Entrance and so forth. Non-stop, but- yeah, but if we could basically break it down to something and not think about anything beyond that. I mean, of course, you, you do a little bit, but it allowed you to kind of make some peace with that day. And often those goals were relatively modest. If we could achieve those, then it would give us some optimism that you can carry on. Because it can be quite daunting if you think of these next big obstacles, whether it's uh, keep caution or some of these other things, right? It's best yes. not to think about those because it just gets you too stressed. Break it down into something manageable and just achieve that one thing. Yeah. And don't extrapolate the fact our maximum speed is sort of between four and five. And so when you're running at four and a half for about a half hour, I think, okay, four and a half, I run that for the next 11 hours. That's 50 miles. <laughs> <laughs> I got in the bag. Yeah. Don't do that. Don't, don't project. <laughs> so what was the line? It's going well, but there's a world of heart, heartbreak ahead of us. I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the tide is going to change. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. Right. Yeah. Were you, you going to say something? Yes, I, you know, I, I, I always, always, never, never without an opinion. Um, I, I would have said the day uh, we left Port Townsend that I knew Grace B. Well, uh, you know, I've built her, I've sailed her for 30 years, um, but 
she, we, uh, we broke her uh, in the course of the race. I mean, uh, particularly uh, the running rigging uh, carried away. It's something I hadn't considered is that, you know, I haven't, uh, I haven't led New Line every place in, since she was launched. I mean, some pits have been replaced, others haven't. So I thought I knew the boat. I didn't know it well enough for the situation in which we were about to sail her. What turned out to be the the element that made the the journey a success for us was the combination of people on the boat. So, you know, John taught me ways to sail the boat that I'd never seen before. It was it was he it was unbelievable. It wasn't unbelievable. It was very impressive. It was a great display of seamanship. And likewise, Martin, you can't get you just can't slow him down in the crunch. He is he is pathologically positive. <laughs> you know, those things in combination carried us through the distress when the boat was seeming maybe not up to the task and carried us through the adjustments we made, like in Campbell River. We refit part of the rigging, we raised the mast, we reseated the mast in the in the in the uh, the step. We did a lot of repairs. And and so if it's not just the boat. It's the combination of people aboard the boat. And, and I looked at the example of, of Henry and his dad and the, and the other guys on the boat. You know, I took a look at that aluminum sharpening and I thought, oh, sweet Jesus. <laughs> Everybody <laughs> did. <laughs> but I think that's the, what, exactly what you're saying. The other most important factor besides knowing your boat is picking your team. If you're going to do it with a team of people, you have to have a group that's up to the task. And I think it's really important to have multiple skill sets in your crew. None of our team's teammates were all skilled at one thing in particular. They all brought different skills to the table, and we really meshed well. And that's one of the reasons we were so successful. And I think without that team, we'd never, we wouldn't have made it. Yeah. Bingo. I concur. It, it does seem, a way of putting it in my mind, is that if you're excited about Days and days and days of maritime problem solving. <laughs> that, that, that this is a race for you. But it's like, you know, what's the tide doing? What's the weather doing? What's your crew doing? What the other crew's doing? Yeah, you're competitive. It's just all this. It's just like, and it's, you can't anticipate it all. But try and have stuff and have, you know, cover your bases. But just, it's going to be, yeah, if you like that kind of puzzle. That's brilliant. Yeah, Grace together. B was a little bit like uh, a Ford motor car. It was like fix or repair daily. We got a crowd here too around the racers, and it was suggested maybe that someone might have a question for any of these the teams. Is there anyone that has a question? I have more, but yours might be better than mine. Well, I, I, even a question though. It, it's a question. No story. Okay. <laughs> so. This year is over. You're getting ready to do it again next year, or maybe you're going to skip and do every other odd year, whatever. Would you do it in the same boat? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I think one of the things that I really learned from Viz reporter. So, so I'm the kayaker. So one of the things I really learned about this race is that you need to to do two things, particularly if you're going solo. You need to do two things, and one of those is to be as light as possible. 
So carry as light a footprint as possible. So that means when you set up, when you take down, when you when you do those things that are necessary for a solo, you're as light as possible. And then two, you need to maximize your speed in all conditions. That what slows you down the most is when you're the slowest. I mean, those periods when you're slow, those are the most important periods as far as average speed. It doesn't matter if you have a high maximum speed. It's really cool. It's fun to say, I just went seven knots! But it doesn't actually overall affect your speed. What affects your overall average speed is those times when you're slow. And so I had a beautiful boat for calm conditions. But if conditions get, get a little bit rougher, it's slower. And I knew that going in, it was just a characteristic of the boat. But you have to, if you want to race, you want to get there as fast as you can. You've got to maximize your speed in those conditions where you're slowest. And for a sailboat, that means figuring out how to handle the low wind conditions. And for a kayaker, it means the opposite, figuring out how to handle those rough conditions when you're a little bit slower. What about others? I'd take the same boat. (laughs) But I, I just want to comment that despite, like, people being concerned about its appearance, that boat was extremely versatile. We never, our, our slowest speed, we were covering ground. We never stopped. We never went backwards because we didn't write off the manpower aspect of this race. So even when we were fighting the current, we could have two people rowing and still average a knot. We could still get a knot and we would do it for six hours as long as the tide was against us. And then we'd switch and we'd keep going at three knots. So we were never losing ground even when the conditions, tides and currents were against us. And when there was wind, that's awesome. We were sailing, and we were covering even more ground. So I would take that boat again. I may not take that boat again, but it really performed well in the conditions that were this race. How much do you ask to take the boat again? Anybody else taking the same boat? Can I answer for Kelp? Do I need to? (laughs) (laughs) What would be your answer if you were answering for us? That you have a love affair so strong with your boat, and you have a love divorce before you can ever get a new one? How close am I? Yeah, I the boat might be like retired from the race to Alaska. We might be doing like day trips to Blake Island. <laughs> but yeah, the boat. Yeah, we do it. Yeah, again we're keeping boat. the boat. Keeping we, the we boat. might add a pedal drive. Yeah, Maybe, we could like we, some other power. Yeah, the, power. the next improvement would be. Yeah. Better human power. Yeah. I mean, ours is great, but... What about others? Right? Yeah, I would use the same boat I had uh, just with some modifications. I think it would be neat to rig up mine. It was an expedition canoe with a, uh, a sail rigging without riggers. And uh, the uh, boat's originally made where you can, you can remove the seat and actually sleep in the boat if you need to. But when you have a lot of gear, you know, that'd be a little tough without, you know, move, remo- uh, removing some stuff. But with some modifications, you know, you could put some netting attaching to the amas and put your dry bags out on that and have like a some sort of a makeshift canopy that you could fold over to keep bugs off of you and i think that would really uh, save a lot of stress from having to look for the perfect campsite and you, know, you could pull up and uh, you know uh, sleep and then uh, get going when the weather's better and uh, go off of a i actually loved our daily time frame to get into that rhythm but if you really wanted to maximize your uh, you know, your race, you know, just, you know, when the bad, when the weather's bad, sleep a few hours. When it's good, push, 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 you know, to get through. And, of course, you have a multiple team people on a sailboat. You can do that, hopefully. <laughs>
the rush away? I guess it, to some extent it depends on what you how you want to approach this race. Like I, I remember contacting Bill Gifford before we bought the Montgomery 17. I said, well, Bill, what do you think of the boat? He goes, it's not a perfect boat, but I'm old and I want to get older, he said, right? <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> and I think to some extent that's what the Montgomery 17 gives you. That thing is built like a little lifeboat. I mean, it is rock solid. I'm convinced that we could have rolled that boat with you know the boards in and it would have come right back up. I mean, it is so safe. But it's slow uh, and uh, it's not that easy to row because it weighs so much. But it is phenomenally safe. We never felt unsafe in that boat. And I'll tell you, man, one of the greatest things of this race was pulling into these crazy little anchorages that we would just find on the charts in the evening and just having that experience. And also just kind of, I loved being at the back of the pack. I hate to say it. I loved it. I just loved our group. <laughs> we kind of a quirky group. No one's too competitive. And it was great to know these people. So if that's what the race I wanted, absolutely I'd do it in the Montgomery 70 again. If I kind of wanted to go really fast and have this race over in four or five days and have a completely different experience, then I would never do it in the Montgomery. But the, that, the race for the five-day guys or the seven-day guys is not what we experienced. We have a completely different race and a completely different experience, and I think, you know, I love this race and I love the experience. So I think you'd have to answer that first question, what kind of race do you want? Because they're completely different races depending on the boats. I've heard there's a knack race. (laughs) (laughs) You want to be a three-day guy. What about race me? Well, I think you should ask each of us. My my own response is I would would take her again, um, but I'd want to work on her. Our storage wasn't worked out well. Uh, so we were often in a mess, and uh, and so I would, you know, I'm a boat builder. I I just make uh, lockers and accommodations that were fitted to the boat, anticipating how much stuff would be brought aboard. Um, it's an open boat ballasted with rocks and window boats. Um, you know, there's, there's well-traveled just, rock. There's just the challenge of, you know, watching... She's got 14 inches of freeboard at the least freeboard. There is the challenge of, you know, when she's pinned down in the big swell watching green water come over the lee rail. Um, but, you know, that... As we know, it blew 50 in front of Victoria and, and we hadn't even worked out the reefing by that point. Um... My belief is the boat is safe. Would I take the boat? Yeah, she's my baby. I, 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 you bet. And I'm sure that, you know, with enough anxiety medicine, I could take the ship. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to hear the other members of the crew speak to that. You know, um, Martin speaking on Grace Bees. I knew that Ernie was a boat builder in Port Townsend and did, let's say, uh, structurally heavy work. So I knew that Grace B was a very well-built, structurally sound boat. And so I also thought, well, if I can put it with it mentally and uh, physically, that the boat will get us there. And it's proved so. That's exactly what it's done. The boat got us here. Um. (laughs) What do you think, Saka? I love Grace B. I would like to go on a boat that is faster. And yet... I'm not sure I wanted to get here sooner. <laughs> so it's a dilemma. I mean, it, at the time we were out there, I mean, we had more days of whale encounters than the first five boats that got here. I mean, we were just, you know, we, they missed that. Uh, maybe some of them got it on the way south. Um, but there's those moments where you're just stuck and you want to slip through the water faster and not 
necessarily be hauling rocks to catch a cat. <laughs> <laughs> Martin will say, but why did you pack so much sake? But, um, uh, but yeah, so, if, and it's a, that maritime problem solving. For me, it's just constant looking for a different challenge, a different boat, but uh, so we're going <laughs> to change grace be a little bit, maybe. But yeah, something different, you know, just to try that. But I, I, I do wonder about the, to do it quicker, there's a, a loss of experience if we got here. Less than seventeen. <laughs> <laughs> I, will, I will add one, one thing to that related to Grace B is that um, I assisted or helped on working with Ernie on his boat from October last year <coughs> to get it ready for this, and I categorically said, "I hope it takes us longer than fourteen days to do it because I want a vacation now." <laughs> <laughs> I, I got it. I Okay, that was part one of a two-part roundtable with these racers. Tune in tomorrow for the second half where we get to ask the racers how they describe R2AK. And I tell you, the silence we get from them is description enough. You can follow it all at r2ak.com. This is Daniel Evans, race boss for Race to Alaska.